As the Law Commission consults on potential topics for its 14th programme of law reform, I caught up with Property Law Commissioner Professor Nick Hopkins. Nick and I look back at some of the highlights of the 13th programme, including major recommendations on an overhaul of leasehold, then go into detail on some of the major real estate topics that the Commission has identified as possible projects for the future, including commercial property issues for landlords and tenants. And Nick explains how all EG readers, and indeed listeners, can play their part in identifying problem areas crying out for reform before the consultation deadline of the 31st of July. Stay tuned for all of that, and to find out why I asked Nick to compare himself to Alexander the Great in this week's EG interview. So, Nick, it's been almost five and a half years since we first spoke, um, at which point you had recently taken over as Law Commissioner for Property, Family and Trust Law. And the Law Commission was then about to begin consultation on its 13th programme of law reform. Now, we're here today, uh, of course, to discuss the impending 14th programme. But first, I thought we could look back a little bit on those five or so years, which have certainly flown for me. Uh, How have they gone for you? Uh, they really have flown I would say it gosh it 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 seems like yesterday that we were consulting on the 13th program uh, and hearing uh, a lot at that time uh, about residential Mm. leases as well as about commercial leases and of course residential leasehold and common hold became a very key part of our 13th program and we published our uh, four final reports on that suite of uh, projects last year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the t- time has gone very quickly and also very busily. Um, <laughs> no, the course within within that same uh, time, uh, we have finished our review of the uh, Land Registration Act, mm-hmm. uh, for example, and had had government's response to, to to that a short while ago. And has the last 15 months of the pandemic changed much about how the Law Commission operates? They have changed a lot about how we are working on a day-to-day basis. So like um, almost every organisation, overnight uh, we became a virtual organisation and for most of the last 15 months uh, we've all been working primarily uh, from, uh, from home. Uh, so it's changed the the physical environment, and of course, you know, during that period, we were sort of very busy in the final stages of the uh, residential leasehold projects. But it hasn't um, changed how we go about our work. We we are still consulting uh, with um, stakeholders and interested uh, sort of people uh, as much as we ever were. Um, we've become a lot more uh, sort of adept at using uh, technology in order to do so. And in some cases that that has actually meant we've been able to speak to people who it might have been harder to reach um, in in a physical uh, environment. So we've had now uh, sort of consultations that have taken place entirely uh, online. Mm. Um, but that means that you know, members of the public in particular who want to talk to us aren't constrained by travel and aren't constrained as to whether we happen to be holding an event uh, sort of geographically close 
to them. Um, so we've been able, you know, perhaps to to speak to a lot more people. But also, you know, we, we, we've always kept in the forefront of our minds that while uh, sort of digital communication works really well for a lot of people, uh, there are that some individuals and some groups who may be particularly excluded by that. We've all, always kept you know, kept in the forefront of my minds as to how to ensure we are reaching uh, everyone who, who could be uh, interested in work that we do. Mm -hmm. And how well do you think the real estate sector understands the work that the Law Commission does? And, and do you think that has improved at all over the last five years? I, I certainly hope it has. I, I think uh, no. I think the um, legal professionals have, you know, of course, always had a very good understanding mm. of the work that we do. Uh, not least because a lot of them would you know, sort of spent undergraduate degrees reading uh, law commission <laughs> reports and had some familiarity with them. I, I think people aren't always aware even uh, if they know our work they're not necessarily always aware of just how much we consult i think they're used to the idea that we have a consultation period uh, they don't always realize that we're actually talking to people from a much earlier stage and mm. continue talking to people uh, after the formal consultation ends um, i think what's changed perhaps over the last five years or so is that we've been doing a lot a lot of work in the real estate sector that has a much higher public profile mm. um, and so more people uh, and more groups have become aware of the work we're doing so you no know, our, our residentially sold and common hall work for example was of interest to a much broader range of uh, professionals and members of the public uh, than our work on uh, the land registration act which was a, you know, a, a much more technical um, piece of work uh, sort of primarily uh, of interest to uh, legal professionals who, who work with the Act on a on a day-to-day -day basis. One thing I did wonder was if you meet someone uh, completely non-professional at a dinner party, uh, remember those, how do you describe to <laughs> them the work that you do? Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I probably give a different description every time <laughs> I, I'm asked the question. I would generally say that uh, our job is to make recommendations to government uh, as to how to change the law uh, to ensure that the law is fair, modern, simple and cost effective. Um, I think in a nutshell that that sums up our role. <laughs> I think so. Um, so just to focus on some of the highlights of the, the 13th programme, I mean, you mentioned that obviously one of your major projects was uh, leasehold reform, uh, about which we have uh, exposed, uh, spoken extensively uh, yes. before now. Yes. And your recommendations were published last year and uh, heralded as the, the biggest shakeup in home ownership in history. Uh, what have you made to the response uh, to those recommendations, particularly your endorsement of Commonhold? We're really pleased uh, with the response that we've had, uh, you know, particularly uh, while government hasn't given us a full response uh, mm. yet to the reports. We have seen uh, sort of very positive uh, developments uh, and we've seen, of course, responses to part of the work we've done. So we were delighted to see the, the Secretary of State's announcement in January. Um, really positive uh, developments there in uh, choosing the, the options on valuation that government will take forward. 
uh, responses to uh, some of the recommendations in our uh, enfranchisement report around uh, lease length on extensions uh, and also the setting up of the Common Hold uh, Council with a real sort of direction uh, to prepare the market for the widespread uh, uptake of Common Hold. So I think you know everything we've seen uh, so far has given us uh, the real uh, encouragement uh, that that work uh, has momentum behind it and that the commitments are are there on government's part to take it forward. And uh, you mentioned uh, one of the other key areas was land registration and uh, you mentioned that you've had the, the government response. So what's, what's the latest uh, with that? Yeah, so, so government uh, responded earlier this year and uh, has accepted um, the, the majority of the recommendations we made uh, in that report uh, and has also identified a number of others around uh, uh, rectification of the register where it wants to undertake further work uh, before making a final uh, decision. Uh, so again, a very positive uh, response. Uh, the uh, government's announcement didn't uh, sort of identify uh, sort of a, a, a vehicle or a time for um, uh, legislation. Uh, to, to follow, but but no, really good to see uh, that those recommendations have been accepted and that the benefit of that work uh, will, will we hope be be felt. Uh, obviously, the government has its hands full uh, at, at the moment. And, uh, <laughs> the response to the the COVID nineteen pandemic has brought with it a number of major changes, which have, have included uh, a greater use of wider acceptance of electronic signatures, which is something else. That the commission uh, reported on during the 13th program wasn't it? Yes it was it was a piece of work I should say that was led by one of my colleagues uh, not by uh, me um, but that has uh, no, really positively uh, set out um, what the current law is in relation to electronic signatures uh, and has we think really dispelled some of the concerns mm there might have been within the sector and has given confidence uh, on their use. Um, and that is work um, that um, my, my colleague, uh, Professor Sarah Green, uh, hopes to take forward in the 14th programme, looking for, uh, for example, at how uh, electronic deeds or digital mm -hmm. deeds may be, uh, may, may be enabled. Yeah, it, it, it proved to be very timely, the uh, the endorsement uh, of e-signatures. So when you see yes, the speed yes. with which uh, technologies like e-signatures and remote hearings uh, for courts and tribunals are embraced at a time of crisis, like, like they have been over the last year and a, a bit, um, and, and during which, you know, major sweeping changes are made to planning and, and, and even to land and landlord and tenant law. Does it frustrate you a little that, that in the ordinary course of events that the path to important reforms is is can be a rather longer one or, or do you think it, it maybe could pave the way for for a faster reform process in, in in future years that people have seen that actually you know we can change and adapt quite quickly yeah it it, it doesn't it doesn't frustrate me i think it it shows the ability uh, and the need to respond to priorities. Mm. Um, and I think it, it, it also shows where the work the Law Commission does can, can really fit in and benefit 
those developments. So I think, no, we, we would all acknowledge that you know, sort of COVID um, it, it has required uh, urgent uh, mm. action, including urgent legislative action, and that has obviously had to be um, prioritised. Um, but we've also seen within that, like, you know, for example, the, the work on electronic signatures uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, how you know, the Law Commission work can be uh, part of or, mm -hmm. or, or can fit in uh, to, to that response. And, and we've seen in other areas um, that uh, COVID has um, sort of required us to think about how we can make the law more resilient in future for example and so in some instances you know, the, the law commission's job is not is not really to be involved in those immediate decisions mm. um because you no know, our 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 raison d'etre is consultation uh, and a lot of these decisions have had to be made uh, sort of very quickly um but i think our what our job is is to then kind of look uh, a bit more reflectively at, at what we've learned from covid what we've seen from covid um, and see how that can feed into the work we do. And so one of the uh, sort of potential themes that we identify in our consultation on the 14th programme um, is how to make uh, the legal regime more resilient uh, to the sort of disruption that we've seen through COVID. Okay. Uh, so that brings us neatly to the the, the 14th programme mm. of law reform. And, and if you'll forgive me, I have no idea why, but what, what came popping into my head when I was thinking about this was a Hans Gruber quote from Die Hard, uh, <laughs> which is uh, widely misattributed to Plutarch. But uh, when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Uh, <laughs> after, after five years that you've spent at the helm, uh, you're about to embark on this fresh programme. So, so clearly you still feel that you have worlds left to conquer. I, I think I'm more likely to weep on the basis that I can't possibly conquer all the worlds that are there <laughs> and, and, and that need to be conquered. Um, I, I, I think that you know, there is still a, a huge amount that we can uh, do. Um, and you know, we, we've identified in that 14, 14th programme consultation some, you know, I think, really uh, significant areas uh, of uh, property law um that you know that, that from what we've heard so far look like they they are really in need of review um some of them are are things that we've heard about before um and have been raised with us again for example in commercial leasehold uh, other uh, developments sort of you know, uh, newer and emerging uh, work for example thinking about how uh, environmental objectives and property law uh, relate to each other, property rights and environmental objectives, in a world in which um, there is much more of an understanding and a, and a much greater need to consider uh, environmental impacts and, and climate change. Uh, so so, so I, I may weep, uh, but, but not because of a concern that there won't be anything left for me to do, uh, more for a concern that I, I don't possibly have the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, so you've published uh, what you call a kite flying document outlining some of your ideas for potential areas of law reform, several of which uh, may be of major interest to our readers and listeners in, in the real estate sector. So I'd like to ask your thoughts on a few of them, uh, beginning uh, with commercial leasehold. You, you, you mentioned uh, 
uh, you, you're going to be doing some work uh, in that area. And it's a, it's a sector which has obviously become a real hot topic during the pandemic. So could, do you think you could see the Law Commission getting involved with helping to resolve some of those issues around, you know, rent arrears in particular that have been thrown up by COVID-19 lockdowns, if not necessarily to resolve the existing problems, but to prepare for the possibility of future pandemics? Yeah, well, I think I suppose I should make clear with that, that we don't have any work agreed at the moment. So no. at this stage, it's all exploratory. Um, and you know, we're at a stage where more than anything, we, we want to hear from your readers about about the mm-hmm. kind of areas we should be looking at. But certainly commercial leasehold as a whole uh, is an area that we, we heard about at the 13th programme consultation, but didn't have um, the agreement from government. We need to take it forward at that stage uh, and that we're, we're consulting on again. And we think the COVID uh, might have made it uh, sort of more of an imperative uh, for reform as, as highlighting some of the difficulties that there are. Um, government uh, has issued its own call for evidence around uh, the impact of COVID um, and has um, said that it will launch its own review uh, late of commercial leasehold later this year. Um, so we're very keen on understanding um, you know, what work may come out of that that it would then be suitable for uh, government to to ask us uh, to undertake so in the same way that we've seen with residential leasehold and common hold uh, we have independently from government done a a number of pieces of work government has been doing its own work in that area Mm. again independently from us but all geared towards achieving the, the the same objectives uh, and we think that government's work or government's interest now in commercial leasehold may you know, may have the potential for uh, a similar uh, approach whereby you, know, you may find us and government um, all, both doing work around different aspects of commercial leasehold, but to, you know, to, to a, a common goal. Mm-hmm. I think we definitely get a sense uh, that, that landlords feel that they're uh, their needs and, and their interests uh, are not necessarily understood by by government. So I imagine that, that the the landlord lobby will will be quite vocal when in, in terms of uh, consulting with you on on what should be done in that area. Yeah, and and certainly at the time of the thirteenth um, program consultation, one thing we found was actually a lot of common ground. Uh, between uh, the, the the landlord lobby and commercial uh, tenant lobby around the areas that aren't working and the sorts of reform uh, that is needed. So if you know, just to take one example, if we take the 1954 Act and the, the contracting out procedure uh, for business tenancies, if, if the tenant doesn't want uh, security of tenure, mm-hmm. uh, that procedure was described to us last time around by by one person as a pantomime um, <laughs> and, and a pantomime that has a result that there is a period of time while the the um, tenant is following the contracting out process during which uh, the tenant is losing trading days because they can't be given the keys and of course the landlord is losing rent um, because they know they're not that they not getting rent until that that tenancy has been granted uh so that's an, an example where you know clearly that there is um a, a, a point within the act which isn't serving the landlord or the tenants 
interests. Uh, yeah, the, so we, we, there's been a lot of talk about potential reform of the, the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. So uh, I imagine you, you, it's difficult to, for you to say now what that could involve, but uh, it could potentially be quite widespread, I imagine. It, it could be, yes. And you know, the, 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 there are a couple of uh, sort of different uh, ways that a, a, a project or a couple of di a couple of different um, sort of approaches a project could take one would be to you know, essentially leave the, the the sort of foundation of the act uh, in place so that foundation mm -hmm. that um, that there's an assumption of security of tenure but look at the procedure uh, around it look at the contracting out procedure to make that more uh, streamlined uh, for example uh, but another approach would be much more wide-ranging and would step back and ask whether contracting out um, is in fact uh, the right starting point now mm -hmm. you know, it, is that serving uh, needs when you know, we know there are some tenants it doesn't work for if you know if you're a pop-up shop you can't pop up um, <laughs> if you're a seasonal um, shop um, then no, you don't want um, security um, we all you know have seen that the, the challenges uh, the high street uh, is facing and how covid ha has impacted on that as well um, so you know th there could be much wider questions about you know, whether um, contracting out is the right starting point too much much more narrow questions around uh well no if it is sorry but whether security tenure is the right starting point to uh much narrower questions as to whether well if it is is the current contracting out procedure uh one that could uh that, that could operate more effectively and your approach to that project i imagine will be shaped by the levels of of, of responses you get at this consultation stage it, Yes, it, it absolutely will be, um, yeah. and you know, and it will be shaped, uh, but by by what people tell us uh, about the app, because you know, that that is the evidence uh, that that we will have uh, to have discussions with uh, commissioners about uh, any potential work, and then to take that evidence to government. Uh, to, in, you know, to reach agreement with government, not only as to whether we should do work in that area, but but if so, what the the scope uh, of that work should be, or what the parameters of that work should be. Yeah. And there are, there are certain other aspects of commercial real estate that you flag as possibilities as well, including the Landlord and Tenant Covenants Act 1995, and the the always knotty problem of authorised guarantee agreements. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the, uh, the the delightfully named Arga Saga. Um, yeah, and I think for the the 1995 Act, that what we've heard so far is general agreement that no, the the Act itself um, is doing its job. So so we're not looking at a fundamental review of the Act. Um, we are looking potentially at much more targeted technical changes in areas where the the, the, the very stringent anti-avoidance measures the act has uh, mm -hmm. are in fact operating uh, to prevent commercially sensible uh, agreements from taking place and you mentioned the government's uh, review of commercial landlord and tenant legislation so i imagine you're going to be dovetailing with that as the consultation progresses 
Yes, certainly. I mean, under the um, protocol we have with government that sets out our working relationship with government, uh, we um, need the agreement of the minister with responsibility uh, in order uh, to take forward a work. The minister has Mm -hmm. to say that there's a serious intention uh, to take forward reform, which we often refer to as uh, providing us with protocol support. So we'll be engaging uh, closely uh, with government to see uh, what work, if any, in the the commercial leasehold sector, uh, government uh, would want us to give, uh, to to give it an independent view on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, top of your list of potential topics uh, alphabetically uh, is the Arbitration Act uh, 1996. And it's quite timely given the government's announcement on on the extension of the moratorium of a a binding arbitration process to resolve uh, COVID lease disputes for for you to perhaps be looking at the arbitration process and how it works uh, and what improvements can be made. Uh, yes, and you know, th- that again is it, you know, is a piece of legislation which you know, is often seen uh, as a gold standard uh, for arbitration. Um, we've certainly uh, no desire to do anything to to sort of impact uh, on that, um, but it's a question as to whether there are, are aspects of it that could be uh, that that could be improved. Mm-hmm. Um, In the context of arbitration, one uh, sort of particular uh, uh, interest we have is um, whether uh, whether arbitration should be extended to trust Mm -hmm. uh, disputes. So it may be that uh, that, that, that some of your readers uh, would have views uh, on that, because, of course, trust law or trust disputes are not capable of arbitration. Uh, mm-hmm. At the moment, so we're you no. Know, so, so, uh, so, so one of the issues that's been raised with us is whether they, that uh, no, whether essentially a, a new arbitration regime uh, is needed that would um, that that wouldn't that that would cover uh, trust law disputes mm-hmm. and what types of trust law disputes would be appropriate for that. And uh, you mentioned that your colleague might be building on her earlier electronic signature work, uh, because obviously one of the, the major hurdles for e-signatures remains uh, as uh, deeds, uh, which is which, you know, causes uh, problems for property practitioners, particularly you know during lockdowns and, and things like that, uh, because of course they must be signed, witnessed, and attested. So, I mean, what what do you think are uh, the prospects of of looking at, at that in the 14th program, and what are some of the main issues to grapple with? Yeah, I, um, I, I think the main issues to grapple with are probably the ones that you've identified there, <laughs> Jess, in terms of um, the, uh, how do you have an electronic deed um, when, for example, you then need electronic witnessing mm. uh, on, on the same document. And it, it's something that, that we've also come across uh, in our work on uh, making a will, um, mm-hmm. a current project that, that's being paused uh, at the moment, where you know exactly the same difficulties arise, and you know COVID has has shone a spotlight on them. Uh, that if you look, for example, at wills formalities, uh, where you know, the, the testator and witnesses are gathered in the same room, uh, all passing a piece of paper between them to, to sign. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine anything less COVID um, uh, sort of compliant. Um, so I think, you know, in in electronic uh, deeds, some of the same issues uh, arise as to how, for example, you you enable witnessing 
to uh, take place. And now looking at your list of possible topics as a member of the public rather than as a real estate journalist, I, I definitely think reform of the house buying process has, has the potential to be a real crowd pleaser. Yeah, yeah. And we are really keen uh, to, to hear from people again about what, what they think about the home buying uh, process and how that uh, could be improved. Uh, it was another issue that was flagged with us at the time of the 13th programme, mm -hmm. but government was doing its own work uh, at that stage. So it wasn't really the, the right time for us uh, to look at it. Um, I, I think you know, that the, the big issues that, that come to mind were not uh, that come as a surprise uh, to you, <clears throat> and they are around how to uh, stop wasted costs, how to introduce much greater certainty mm. uh, into the process, um, looking, for example, at, um, at how to ensure that more information is provided up front so that you don't you know, spend you know, potentially hundreds, thousands of pounds uh, on a conveyance before finding out that, that there's a problem that, that, that means it can't go ahead. Um, so what we're really interested in understanding is you know, what, what law reform could contribute uh, to that process. Now that, that could uh, take the form of looking at, at all the different sort of cogs that have to turn in that process and looking at what could be done to oil individual cogs uh, to put it that way um, or it could take the form of, of sort of standing back and asking <clears throat> if the problem isn't with the individual cogs but if the problem is actually with the machine uh, and looking uh, for example at what we can learn from uh, other jurisdictions mm -hmm. uh, where people are legally committed to the purchase at a, at a much earlier stage. And um something that might play into to, to it when you come to look at that is that there are a number of tech related topics that you you pull out um, from justice in a digital age to smart contracts to to even uh, automated decision making systems does the technological pace of change in society make it a, a bit of a constant battle for the the commission to try and keep up or do, do you see it as an invigorating challenge I, I see it actually as, as an area in which the commission can really play a distinctive role. Mm. Um, I mean, outside of, of, of the, the real estate context, one of the, uh, the key pieces of work uh, that um, another of my colleagues, Nicholas Paynes, has been uh, doing is looking at automated vehicles mm -hmm. um, and looking at, uh, you know, looking to the future to see what the law or how the law needs to be changed now so that when the technology comes on stream the law is ready mm. uh, so I think you know, what 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 we are seeing in the commission is that that you no know, while most of our work is looking at uh, you know, changing the law um, to respond to things that are already happening uh, you no know, we, we a project usually comes to us uh, because there is a law there that isn't working mm. at the moment um, that there that there is more work to be done thinking about uh, how the law can be sort of put in place uh, to enable new technology uh, to, to, uh, to, 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 to sort of work uh, effectively or to, you know, so that the legal regime is in place before the technology 
um, uh, is used rather than waiting for the technology to, to cause the, the, the disruption uh, and try and, and, and get the law to catch up. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I mean, smart, uh, the impact of smart vehicles could have massive real estate implications as well. So there's, there's plenty to be looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, you mentioned the environment earlier. Uh, you know, what kind of topics do you think could come into play uh, in that in that arena? Yeah, so a, a, a whole uh, range of topics um, that have some potential there, I think. And uh, for our, you know, I think for, for for my purpose and of most interest, your readers is that overarching question as to the relationship between uh, property rights and environmental objectives. Mm. Um, And what do we do when uh, a property right is telling you you ought to do one thing, but an environmental objective is telling you that something else ought to be done? Uh, so there are some, uh, no, perhaps more obvious areas where where that arises. For example, around uh, coastal erosion uh, and uh, flooding defences, but also perhaps some that are less obvious. So no, one of the things we we've heard about um, are difficulties uh, in making changes to uh, sort of leases, including commercial leases. That are desirable uh, to make those leases operate in a in a a greener uh, way, so the so-called greening of leases, mm-hmm. because it you know, sometimes uh, sort of transpires that the party who would receive the benefit of those changes uh, is not the party who would be responsible for uh, paying for them, or it may simply be that a tenant wants to uh, make uh, changes perhaps to the the infrastructure of a building, um, but their lease doesn't cover the the bit of the building that that change would need to be made to. So Mm -hmm. I think understanding how how landlord and tenant law uh, can operate more effectively so that it encourages and facilitates environmentally positive uh, adaptations rather than being seen as a barrier uh, in the way of those being made. One other topic that I picked out sounds like it would be uh, quite a a massive undertaking which would be tackling the UK statute book. Now according to your document that the Law Commission could consider an overarching project to investigate areas where legislative repair has the potential to bring the greatest benefits. And it may be that such work would identify thematically priority areas of the law in need of rationalisation, which in turn would help lay a firm platform for future development of the law, uh, which sounds wonderful, but it also sounds very daunting. Or, or, or do, you find, <laughs> do you find that that idea exciting? I find it exciting uh, as well as daunting, I think it's fair to say. We do, at the Commission, have a specific role to play in the simplification uh, of the law. And I think simplification um, sometimes perhaps gets overlooked or or gets seen as, as the not terribly exciting uh, side of work. Um, and perhaps you know, the, the more that uh, legislation has become available uh, electronically, um, in some ways, the less of a concern the size of the statute book um, 
it, 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 it is an issue because the ability to to store it and have access to it becomes uh, unlimited. But you know, that also brings with it risks that uh, you know, the, the, the wrong things will be looked at. Um, relevant bits of legislation uh, won't be found. Um, or it can simply be uh, it, it can simply be the case that so many incremental changes are made over a period of time, the law becomes so complex um, that not even those applying it can un no, can understand it. So, you know, again, outside of the um, real property uh, context, uh, you no, know, a really significant achievement of one of my uh, um, other colleagues who who's now finished his term as commissioner uh, has been uh, uh, the consolidation of uh, sentencing law uh, and, and the sentencing code um, because you know, what, what we found was that sentencing law had become so complex that judges uh, were giving people sentences that were simply illegal. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a, a whole a, a whole process of simplifying uh, the law in that area um, you know, ha, has not only had that you know, <laughs> kind of fundamental uh, effect that people are not now being given sentences that there is no legal basis for, um, but also has the potential uh, to save uh, millions of pounds um because uh, of the of the the savings in time the savings mm. in appeals etc um so you know that's you know clearly an example outside of the real estate context but an example that shows that that you no know, that what can be perceived as as fairly dull work of simplification can actually have mm. have real uh, effects on individuals and i think you indicate that the the legislative uh, impact of or Brexit perhaps gives you that that opportunity to, to to be looking at this and simplifying the statute at the same time that it's being revised and yeah absolutely the um no, the, the idea that following our uh, departure from the European Union um, there is an opportunity uh, to uh, sort of review areas of law where uh, no, the the um, that the current position has uh, sort of crystallized as to you know, how it stood at the time and an opportunity then to take uh, particular areas uh, and see what changes uh, can be made so that they work uh, better for, for England and Wales going going forward. Um, so, you know, of course, um, the, the Law Commission itself is not sort of being involved in in Brexit and in in the high political um, sort of issues at, at stake in that. Um, but you know, think that, that there is now uh, that sufficient distance from that to think about. Okay, that let's let's see what impact Brexit has had on the statute book, mm -hmm. um, and let's see uh, what work uh, there can now be done. Um, to, uh, to, to to make the statute book um, simpler, more understandable, to make sure that it's actually doing the job uh, that we want it to do in England and Wales. Mm -hmm. And are there any other potential topics that you think may be of particular interest to those in real estate? 
Uh, yes, um, I mean, one I would mention um, is what we're calling ownerless land. Mm -hmm. um, now, this sounds like it is right at the technical uh, end of work because it's looking at what happens when uh, land uh, is subject to a sheet or bond of vacantia um, mm. and therefore goes to, the, goes to the crown or treasury. Um, but it's an area of law that has uh, real uh, sort of impacts on individuals and communities. Um, and so we've heard, for example, of instances where <clears throat> recycling uh, sites uh, have uh, been abandoned because the company has, has gone insolvent uh, and over a course of time uh, actually become a danger to public health because mm. of the, uh, the, the waste that, that is stored on them. Uh, or similarly, where buildings uh, become abandoned following an insolvency uh, and over time become dilapidated uh, and again become a, a risk to public health. And it did hear one instance where it resulted in significant road closures over a period of time, uh, for example, because urgent repairs uh, were needed. Um, so we think there is an opportunity there to, you know, to to look at what can be done so that Tashid and Bonificantia work more effectively. Um, to look, for example, uh, at um, what, what uh, local authorities and the Treasury uh, should be able uh, to do um, to prevent uh, th th those uh, sorts of things happening but without having to take on significant additional liabilities uh, in the process because they're seen as managing uh, the, 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 the land. Uh, and then looking technically uh, at what interests uh, survive in a sheet. So if the land is subject to in a sheet and a new freehold uh, is granted, what interests from the old estate should carry over uh, to, to the new estate? Um, so I think you know, that that's a project we you know, would be delighted to hear from your readers who have had any experience mm -hmm. uh, of that. But it seems to us sort of potentially one on the one hand uh, is a very technical uh, area of law. But on the other hand, we see that if it's not working properly, uh, it can have you know, very real practical um, mm -hmm. impacts on, on individuals and communities. Now, as well as consulting on these and, and other topics, you also <coughs> welcome other suggestions, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, when we launch a programme consultation, uh, we highlight uh, the areas that have been uh, raised uh, with us already or that, that mm -hmm. we know of as potential areas of reform. Um, but it, it's purely happenstance um, whether we know about uh, an issue at this stage. Uh, there may well be lots of issues that haven't come to our attention mm. yet, but that people you know people know about. Uh, so in you know, in our thirteenth program, uh, for example, one of the projects that made it to our thirteenth uh, program um, is a project looking at um, some of the challenges that arise in museum uh, collections. Um, that. Uh, was uh, not a not something we put in our kite flying document, not something we were aware, aware of that stage. Um, but an expert uh, in the area uh, that sort of contacted us about it, 
um, and it you know, transpired that there are sort of really mm. significant issues there that government was actually sort of very keen uh, for us to look at. So, so there may be a nugget like that sitting <laughs> in the minds uh, of, of you no. Know, it, it might just be in one of your uh, mm-hmm. readers who 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 has an idea uh, that becomes a project in the 14th programme. So, who would you like to hear from? How best can they get in touch, and what kind of time frame are you working to? Yeah, we would like to hear from everyone uh, in short. So it is a full uh, public consultation. Uh, we're really keen to have uh, responses for, from individuals, from individuals who, and, and often, of course, it's people working with this law in their day to day practice who are most aware uh, of what is working and what could benefit from review. Um, so they can email us. Um, and there is a, a, a uh, response form on our website that they can fill out as well uh, that asks them for you know, sort of some of the information that, that helps us to understand what the problems are uh, and, you know, and how much of a, a problem it is. Our consultation uh, goes on until the 31st of July. So there, mm-hmm. there's no time uh, for people uh, to contact us, but please don't leave it until the, uh, the, the last minute. <laughs> And so I imagine if you if you wanted to just give sort of one last message to to anyone listening or, or reading, that uh, your message would be that you know if there's something that that irritates or frustrates you or is is uh, you know causing you difficulties in in your business, uh, that don't stay quiet. This is very much the opportunity to have your voice heard. It, it is absolutely that. It, no, if you know something isn't working don't assume that we know and don't assume that somebody else will will tell us um you, you're no you are the ones using the law on a daily basis you are the ones who are who are really well placed to tell us uh, what needs to be reviewed and when it comes to you know whittling down you mean you know you can only do so much there are only so many worlds you can conquer um I, does the scale of the uh, the feedback on particular topics influence you or is it what kind of factors shape which projects make it into the program? Yeah it, yeah it is a number of factors it is looking it, it, it's no, it's really based on the evidence that we get so the more mm. evidence we have and the more no, the, the, the um, more significant that evidence is the better in that respect. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's looking at um, uh, how, you know, how significant uh, the issue is, how significant change uh, might be, um, and whether it's an area that is going to benefit from the sort of public consultation exercise that, that we give uh, our, our projects. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining me to, to discuss the impending 14th programme, Nick. Uh, thank you. I hope, I hope the consultation goes well, and I look forward in the months and years to come to discussing those projects that, that uh, come to fruition with you. Yeah, so do I, very much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Jess.